Welcome to church, everybody. How many of you are glad to be in the house of the Lord? So good to be with all of you. If I have not had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Brandon. My beautiful wife and I, Judy, have the amazing privilege of serving as our campus pastors at our Wilcott location. And we're so honored to do it. And so glad to be here with you. We want to welcome all of you, also all of you that are joining us online and at all of our campuses, even our Wilkie campuses joining us. So good to see you guys as well. I know you guys are having a great time there and have already eaten probably about five donuts, but it's good to see you guys too. Thank you guys so much for being with us. Well, so glad to be in this house and to be back here in New Milford. I'm so uh, honored that Pastor Frank would trust me to minister and to come before you today. So excited to be here. I know that we did this earlier, but I too want to honor all of our veterans and for those that are serving in the armed forces. Can we give it up for them one more time? I know that I wouldn't be here, that we wouldn't be here with their sacrifices and for all that they've done so that we can walk in freedom. But I'm so glad to be with you. Also, today happens to be Pentecost Sunday as well. Pentecost Sunday, even though I'm not going to minister on that, I felt the need to mention it. This is where the church age began. And if you would like to know more about Pentecost, look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The Holy Spirit came down and moved upon the disciples and the church began. And look at where it is developing into now. God is so good. Come on. Come on, somebody. Well, before we dive into the word, I also want to honor our pastors. We're going to have a chance to do that coming up real soon. I believe it's June the 3rd we mentioned on that Saturday. So thankful for our pastors. I'm thankful for my pastors and the investment that they've made in my life and in Judy's life and our family. So thankful to them. Come on, can we give it up for our pastors? <laughs> Pastor Frank is actually here in the house like he's there in the back chilling. And uh, can I mention something to everyone really quick, just to set the record straight? I think that he's abandoned the notion that he can beat me in basketball. So we've moved on to pickleball, and I must admit that he's a pretty good pickleball player. He invited me over, we played a game, and he did beat me. But granted, I've never played this game before. So give me some time to develop my skills and to learn how to play, and I'll set the record straight. But he's developing into a good player, so I had to give him some props there. Give him some props. But um, amen. Well, let's go on and dive into the Word. If you're in need of a paper Bible, raise your hand. Our amazing ushers will assist you. Uh, and feel free to take that Bible home if you don't have one at home. We want everyone to have a paper Bible. But let's make our Bible confession. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. (laughs) My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be. All that God has destined me to be. Amen. I think we've determined some of y'all shouldn't come for the auditions for the choir and for music. Because we're having a hard time getting on the same page. That's okay. I want you guys to turn with me. My assignment comes from two passages of scripture that I want to share with you today. The first one is found in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 1. And then the second scripture comes from Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 14. 
Isaiah chapter 53, beginning with verse 1, and Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 14. We're in a series right now called He Amazes Me. He amazes me. How many of you out there are amazed at God? Amazed at your Heavenly Father? Amazed at what He does and who He is? Hopefully we gain a greater perspective of that today. So let's read. I'm reading from the New King James Version. And it says in Isaiah 53.1, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Verse four, which I want to pay particular attention to. Surely, somebody say surely. Surely he has borne our griefs mm. and he's carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten of God and afflicted but he was wounded but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement For our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick, with the fever. So he touched her hand. In other versions, it says that he knelt down by her bedside. Interesting picture of our Savior. He knelt by her bedside and touched her hand. And the fever left her. And she arose and served them. How many of you have ever had a fever before? You're not just getting up and rising, ready to make some food and serve everybody after you just came out of this. But the healing that our Savior produces and brings forth is complete. Come on, somebody. But watch this. In verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all not some not a few all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness 
I want to speak to you for a few moments from the subject matter, the servants' songs. The servants' songs. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for everyone that has gathered here in this place. I don't take for granted, Father, that you have brought them here for a purpose. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. Father, I need your help. And I pray for your Holy Spirit to minister in this place and bring illumination and understanding. As I prayed before, Father, do whatever you feel you need to do. Your wish is my command. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Before we fully embrace the revelation that's contained in Matthew chapter 8, I feel that it's necessary that we understand the meaning behind the prophecy that is given in Isaiah 53. Isaiah was a prophet. He was called of God. As a prophet, he spoke God's words. For the most part, these words were words of confrontation, exhortation, and warning. Words that made him extremely unpopular. Extremely unpopular. However, he did not shy away from teaching God's word. And this is a word to us because the message that we believe, the hope that we have is going to seem foreign to those whom we come in contact with. But the truth of the matter is we have to remain steadfast and we can't shy away or shrink back from what the Lord has done in our lives. But we have to be willing to share our testimony. And if I might submit to you, you should get to a place where you can share your testimony in less than three minutes. Because sometimes three minutes is the only period of time that you're going to have to be able to deposit a seed into somebody's life. But nonetheless, it's a powerful testimony. And don't take it for granted what God has brought you through. Even though you may not have been to seminary school, even though you may not have the Bible completely memorized from front to back, maybe haven't even read the entire Bible, but you know what? You have a testimony. I was lost and now I'm found and this is what the Lord has done in my life. Take notes from the woman at the well. All she told the whole town was I know a man who told me everything that I ever did and she brought a whole town to Jesus but they had to come to believe on their own but she was the one that set up the appointment. Don't despise the day of small beginnings and don't think your testimony is meaningless. God has done something in your life if you have been redeemed by him. Can I get an amen? Amen. The book of Isaiah records these prophetic words of warning, but it also um, records Isaiah's words of promise and hope. One day a Messiah would come who would save, comfort, and bless his people. We know that this Messiah has already come, and we know that his name is Jesus. But there are some that are still waiting on this Messiah to come because they believe the man that did come, who was Jesus, was not him because of the manner in which he came. They thought he was going to be a political leader. They thought he was going to overthrow throne or, or throne Rome. So when he came... He came in a manner of a servant, of a bond servant, and it totally messed them up to where they refused to place their trust and faith in him. But what's powerful to me is the Bible scholars agree the prophecy that's recorded in Isaiah 53 was written 700 years 
before Jesus even stepped on the scene. That should be no surprise to us because we know that our God calls those things that be not as though they are. And that's a word for us. And I must pause there. 700 years before Jesus stepped on the scene, this prophetic word went forth. What is it that you were waiting on? What is it that you are believing God for? I'm not saying you have to wait some um, 700 years, but the point that I'm making is God's word will not return to him void. What he speaks, it will come to, it will come to pass. In Isaiah 55:11, he says, "So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth; it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it." So if God spoke it, it will come to pass. He's not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If God spoke it, it will come to pass. So no matter what the doctor says, no matter what the job status is, Lord, I know that you're my provider. I know that you will sustain me. I know that even though I'm going through this anxiety and I have uh, like quite a few uncertainties about the future, I know when you called me, when you saved me, you said this work that you started in me, you're faithful to finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is faithful. What initially amazed me, though, about Isaiah 53 is the circumstances that surrounded this prophecy, this word that we just read. The Israelites, who were God's chosen people, were currently in exile to the Babylonians because of their immoral and their idolatrous lifestyles, which is outlined in chapters 1 through 39 in the book of Isaiah. However, in chapters 40 through 55, Isaiah comforted the future generation of weary exiles, the Jews who thought that God had forgotten them. And what's powerful to me as I think about that, it is because of their rebellion and their refusal to worship the Lord and to instead worship idols that caused them to be in captivity to the Babylonians. And even though they thought that God had forgotten them, God was still ever present in their lives. Can you look back over your life and think for just a second, even when I was not serving him, I can still see his hand that was upon my life. I can still see the things that he protected me from. But isn't it interesting that when we commit sin and when we do something that is a violation of God's commands and he distances or or we're being distant from him, that we automatically assume that he has forgotten us. But it is not that God has forgotten us. It is that he is still constant. He is still consistent. He is still there, but he cannot be associated with sin. So it's incumbent on us to confess and to just be honest with the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, he who covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Our God is a forgiving God. But they had lost sight of this. And may I submit to you, people of God, God is not surprised by your behavior. Do you think when Adam and Eve ate from the tree that God was pulling his hair out, that he was frantically pacing back and forth, wondering what he was going to do? No, he already had a plan in place. There was already an answer on the way. Even as we were reading in Isaiah 53, listen to the way God communicates. 
As God was communicating to his readers through the prophet Isaiah and Isaiah 53, he was speaking as if these things already happened, even though it was 700 years in the future. But this is how our God communicates. And you know what? Because we have his DNA living on the inside of us through the Holy Spirit, we have to get to a place in our faith where we communicate like God. Lord, I know that I'm healed because your word says so. Lord, I know that I'm provided for because you own a cattle and a thousand hills and you have me in the palm of your hands. Lord, I know that I'm going to get through this trial. I know that everything like the weight of the world feels like it's been lifted upon me. But God, I know that you are the strength of my life, that you are my strong tower and I will look to you. Lord, even though my children are wayward and they're acting a fool and they and it seems like they're out there doing God knows what. Father, I know your word says train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. So, Lord, I hold on to your word and I thank you. I'm not denying what's evident. I'm not denying what I see in front of me. I'm not trying to be naive, but I'm trying to operate in faith and say, God, I know that you are able and I trust you. Are you with me? Mm. In a brilliant series of prophecies, we learned that Isaiah presented the case that Israel's captivity was not due to the fact that these, uh, these idols that they were worshiping were superior to God, but it was the disciplining rod of God. It was a form of discipline that he brought into their lives. And this was a common occurrence with the Israelites. After all that God had done for them, He had basically set them free from Egyptian bondage. He had taken care of them when they were in the wilderness, feeding them with manna from the sky and water out of a rock. But isn't it interesting, no matter how much God does for us, we still sometimes have cases of amnesia. And we can sometimes forget what the Lord has done in our lives. But may I submit to you, sometimes... It is necessary to get out a piece of paper and start writing all the things that God has brought you through. Because I guarantee you, as you fill up that page, and to be honest with you, there aren't enough pages that can fill up what the Lord has done in your life. But as you begin to write those things out, you will begin to see, God, you have not left me. You have not forsaken me. Yes, it may appear that I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. I wanted to throw in the towel. But God, you have been there for me and I see it. And I trust you. And I know that you're good. He predicted the exile's return and encouraged them to rouse themselves to flee Babylon and to entrust their future to the Almighty. You guys know the scripture in Jeremiah 29, 11. For God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Thoughts of good and not of evil. Plans to prosper you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. We know that scripture, but do you know who he was writing to? The Israelites who were in captivity to Babylon. So he was literally speaking to them in the midst of their bondage, telling them, this is not your future state. Some of you here in this place, you have been in a place of discouragement. You have been in a place of despair. You have been in a place of depression, wondering where God is. But I'm telling you right now, it's time to come out of that place. It's time to rise up and to see that God knows the hairs that are on your head. He knows you're lying down and you're getting up. He's well acquainted with all of your griefs, all of your struggles. He has paid for you to walk in victory. It's time to stop living below your inheritance, but live in line with your inheritance. 
You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not below. It is time to get out of that stinking thinking and to see yourself as God sees you. As God sees you. And may I submit to you, that won't be found in a man. That won't be found in a woman. Stop looking for the one and become the one and God will bring you the one. Come on. The term, when speaking of the Lord's coming salvation, Isaiah 52 and 53 places a portrait of a suffering servant. A suffering servant. The term servant was not uncommon to the Israelites. Isaiah initially identifies God's servant as Israel itself. They were called to be God's servant and to be a light to the Gentiles, to be a light to the other nations. But what's interesting is that Israel could not fulfill that mission. Israel was deaf, they were blind, and in need of God's forgiveness, Israel failed again and again to live up to the expectations that God had for them. And before we point the finger, can I submit to you, sometimes we can be in that place as well. Only because of God's grace do we stand here today and still being used of the Lord despite our frailties. But by contrast, watch this. God's servant, the Messiah, faithfully completes all the work he is given to do. Come on. The servant of the Lord is God's faithful and true witness to humanity. Isaiah prophetically spoke about a suffering servant that would come in the future. The servant would be despised and rejected, Isaiah 53.3. He would be wounded and bruised, 53.5. This unattractive servant would know heartache and sorrow. But what was the reason for his suffering? His life would not be the cause of his suffering, for he was blameless and he spoke only the truth in Isaiah 53.9. Yet this servant would lead, would be led to prison and then to death for our sins. Are you with me? For the remainder of our time today, I want to focus on the book of Isaiah and where it calls the servant songs. There are four servant songs of Isaiah that describe the service, the suffering, and the exaltation of the servant of the Lord, the Messiah. I want to break down each song and help us discover its profound impact on each of our lives today. So the first song that I want to bring forth is, The Servant Will Establish Justice for All. I don't think y'all heard me. The servant will establish justice for all. Let me make sure I'm in the right place. Do you believe when the scripture says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord? That's going to happen whether people desire it or not. But I'm making a choice today. Lord, I'm going to bow down to you now. You don't have to force me. You don't have to coerce me into doing this. I willingly lay down my life because you are holy and beside you there is no other. There are things that you experience in your life and you would term them as inequalities. You would say to yourself, why is it that bad things happen to good people? 
Why is it that as I'm serving the Lord, I'm going through these trials? People are ridiculing me. People are walking over me. There are certain things that I'm experiencing as a Christian. Why am I going through this? Why does it seem when I gave my life to Jesus that my life became more difficult than it was before? But may I submit to you, it may appear that it is more difficult initially. Because initially there is going to be a shock factor that comes over the people that used to know you. In other words, this new you is going to be difficult for them to embrace because they were used to you being in bondage. They were used to you in the state that you were in. I have ministered to people over the years that were addicted to drugs, that were addicted to pornography, that had committed affairs. And you know what? On the outside, you can tell that something changed in their life because you can see it in their worship. You can see it in their praise. See, you can identify when somebody truly has a revelation of what God has done in their life because it is expressed in their worship and their praise of God. When somebody recognizes, I'm the one that took you out of that crack house. I'm the one that set your mind free. I'm the one that brought you out of that abusive relationship. I'm the one that caused you to be educated and to get that degree and to rise up out of a family of obscurity and to become all that God has called you to be. I'm the one that did that in your life. Yes, you may have certain characteristics. You may have certain abilities and giftings, but even those I placed on the inside of you. So it's time to give God the glory and the credit But how many of us can admit there are times when you're scratching your head, why do believers go through certain things? Why does it seem like those who are not serving God, those who have no regard for him are prospering? It seems like they have no difficulties. It seems like they're advancing in the company, but yet I'm being faithful to you, Lord. Let me tell you something. They're on a slippery slope. And in in the book of Psalms 73, there's a man by the name of Asap that almost hit, like the Bible described him as saying that his foot almost slipped when he looked on the prosperity of the wicked. But it wasn't until he went into the sanctuary that he discovered therein. When God gave a revelation to him, it may appear on the surface that they are prospering. But the word of God says, even though your outward man is perishing, your inward man is being renewed day by day. For you look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. But the things that are not seen are eternal. So don't go by just what you see. But the Bible says that God is going to bring forth justice to all. He's going to make every wrong right. And you know what? He's also going to reward believers, which is called the judgment seat of Christ, for the things that they did for the Lord while they were here on this earth, in this body, in this tent. So this is why you can't grow weary in well-doing. Because in due season, you will reap a harvest if you faint not. So it's time to stay encouraged, baby. It's time to get back in the fight. It's time to be careful what's coming out of your mouth. Because life and death is in the power of the tongue. And God will bring justice eventually. And he will vindicate you. I have a feeling and I have a sneaky suspicion that some of you in this place, or maybe you watching online, you've had situations where... You had to defend yourself, whether it was on the job 
whether it was in your family, whether you were misunderstood by somebody, may I submit to you that the Apostle Paul also had situations where he had to defend himself. If you look in 1 Corinthians 9, such was the case where he had to defend himself. I'm not going to turn there for the sake of time. But see, there are other times where God is the one who vindicates you. Where God is the one who pleads your case. Where God is the one, vengeance is mine, I will repay, return good for evil. Even though they're persecuting you, even though they're using you, even though they're speaking words of death over you, my Bible says that the blessings of Abraham have come on to me. Hold on. Did you hear what I said? The blessings of Abraham have come on to me. So if I go back to Abraham, what was the promise given given to Abraham in Genesis 12? Whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. So you know what? You can say all that you want about me, but understand that I'm going to stay true to who God has called me to be. But this is where we can mess up when we get out of character. When we get out of character, when we allow ourselves to stoop down to somebody's level. See, you should never stoop down because you're already seated high. So don't stoop down because you're seated with him in heavenly places. Why should I come to your level when God has called me to have an aerial view of the situation and to not be so intertwined with it that I can't see the victory that's on the way? God has called you to it. I always say this, and I love this scripture. In Proverbs 21.1, it says the king's heart. The king's heart is in the palm of the Lord's hands. And like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. When your time comes, you will be exalted. But be content in the circumstance that God has you in. God sees you. He knows your frame. He crafted you when you were in your mother's womb. He knows you. So be faithful on the job. Even though it may not be the ideal job that you desire, be faithful in the little things. And God said that he will make you ruler over many things. Can I speak to the young adults for a second? It's important to be consistent at a job. It's important to be consistent with where the Lord has placed you. I get it. I was at a point in my life where I was asking myself, it seems like everyone else is advancing. It seems like everyone else is further along in their careers. And it seems like the blessings are flowing in their life. First of all, I had to get out of the way and allow God to move because one of the worst things that you can do is force yourself into a role that you are not anointed for. You may think that you're ready, but God knows when you're ready. And when he feels that you're ready, the Bible says the blessings of the Lord maketh rich and he adds no sorrow to it. So when it's God's timing and when it's God's way, the blessings will follow. Are you with me? But God has called you to be consistent. When he says justice for all, there's a scripture that he refers to in Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 4. It says, behold... My servant whom I uphold, my elect one. In other versions, it says my beloved. This is God speaking of his son, Jesus. He says, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. You know where that was fulfilled? When Jesus came up out of the water, when he was being baptized by John, what happened? God the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Son was baptized, and God the Holy Spirit, what? Came down in the form of the Holy Spirit, or, or, or in the form of a dove. The Holy Spirit came down on him in the form of a dove. So he says, I have put my spirit upon him, 
He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Who is a Gentile? Those who are non-Jews. Now, the loose translation is those who are non-Jews who would be us. But when you look at this strictly, it is those without a covenant. So technically, I'm no longer a Gentile because I have a covenant with him. Come on, somebody. I have a covenant with him. I have an expected end. This is my heritage. This is my right. Not because of something that I've done, but because of his grace, because of his love, I have stepped into this this inheritance even though I didn't even deserve it. Come on. But it says he will not cry out, nor will he raise his voice. Mm. Come on, somebody. Look at that. Look at that right there. He will not cry out, nor will he raise his voice. Can I speak to the, to the couples in here, to the married couples? The Bible says in Proverbs 15.1 that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How many times have you been tempted to elevate your voice? I don't think they're understanding. I got to fluctuate a little bit. But may I submit to you, take notes from your Savior. Even though he was being ridiculed, even though he was mistreated and he didn't deserve it, he did not allow himself to retaliate. He kept himself. He will not cry out, nor will he raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastland shall wait for his law. Did you hear that? He will not be discouraged until established, until he has established justice for all. It may seem like the world or, or the enemy has the upper hand, but his servant, Jesus, is whom we're speaking of, he's not dismayed by what is going on in this world. Let me say this again. Jesus is not being dismayed, even though it may be a shock to you what you're reading on the news, what you're seeing in the school system, how you're seeing families being torn apart. But let me help you to understand this. Jesus is not surprised. And also, it should not surprise you that you have an opportunity to keep back darkness because of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of you. Because you are a restrainer. I don't have time to develop this, but in the book of Thessalonians, the Bible says that he will will restrain, he will keep back sin until he is taken out of the way, and then the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will come. Do you know what's keeping the Antichrist from being revealed? Us as believers and the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. So when the rapture occurs and we're taken out of here, this is going to give rise and give opportunity for the Antichrist to come forth. Do you recognize the power that is at your disposal? Come on. All of this was fulfilled in Matthew 12, and I'm running out of time. The second song is the servant will provide deliverance for Israel and the Gentiles. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 1, it says, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. 
He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. Wait a minute. This is reminiscent of Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is sharp than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the, to the division of the soul and of the spirit and of the joints and marrow. It goes on to say that every creature is naked and exposed to him to whom we must give an account. Even on the day of Pentecost, when Peter was preaching the gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because they had already been filled with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred in Acts chapter 2, and he preached the gospel, and the Bible says that they were what? The people that were there for the Pentecost festival, they were cut to the heart. The reason why they were cut to the heart, because the word of God was being proclaimed. People of God, you cannot stop reading your Bible. You got to get in the Bible more now, more so now than ever, because people need to hear the word. And I'm not saying to bash the Bible over them, but you should always have a word in your quiver. You should always have a word ready. Be instant, in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. You should always be ready, always be ready. But it says in the shadow of his hand, He has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. That you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. I don't have time to go into this, but we've been teaching on this at our Wilkid campus. We've been in the book of Romans on Wednesday nights. And in the book of Romans chapter 10, or actually chapter 9, 10, and 11, we're expounding upon God's plan for the Jews. Because it may appear like they are exempt from God's program. But I want you to understand something. We have to pay attention to what's going on with the Jewish people. We have to pay attention to what's going on in Israel because our future depends on it. But let me help you to understand something. Their denial and their refusal to believe gave us access into the kingdom of God. We were that wild olive branch that was engrafted in to God's kingdom. But make no mistake about it, even when one of the prophets, I believe it was Elijah, spoke to God during a time of immense idolatry. And he said, Lord, they've torn, they've torn down your altars. They're all worshiping Baal. They've all turned aside to their own ways. Guess what God replied to this prophet in the Old Testament? He said, wait a minute. I have 6,000 Jews that have not bowed their knee to Baal. You see things from man's appearance. But I see a remnant that will be saved, that will come to know the Lord. So don't discredit God's people. It may appear like they don't see who the Messiah truly is, but there will come a day. And the Bible says that we as Gentiles have an opportunity to provoke them to jealousy, that they will come to know the Lord. And they will submit to him. And God has a plan and he has a purpose for their lives. He will bring them home. 
This was fulfilled in Ephesians 6, Hebrews 4, Revelation chapter 1, and also Revelation chapter 19. For the sake of time, I'm going to speed up here. Song number three, the servant will operate with God-given wisdom. Well, with God-given wisdom. This is found in Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9. But I'm going to go on to song number four. You can look up that scripture later. But this is the one that I want to really spend some time on. For the servant will suffer, but in the end, he will come out triumphant. The servant will suffer, but in the end, he will come out triumphant. We read earlier that he would be bruised, that he would be rejected, that there was nothing beautiful or attractive that would cause us to be beholden unto him, but he humbled himself. In Isaiah 53, verse 10 through 12, listen to what this says. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. What is the seed of the Lord? Everyone coming into God's kingdom. Listen, when he says here, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. We are that seed. We are that seed that's coming into God's kingdom. The only reason why Jesus hasn't come back yet, because there are still more seeds that need to sprout up. There are still no more believers that need to come into the kingdom. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But it's our job to get out there and be soul winners. It's our job to get out there and proclaim the goodness and the faithfulness of God and bring people into the kingdom very seldom using words, but allowing our actions to be the biggest witness. Our actions, the way that we treat people, the way that we treat our wives, the way that we treat people on the job, the way that we view circumstances. Sometimes us in the world, we could be going through similar circumstances, but the only difference is I have a revelation. And the revelation that I have is in James chapter 1 verse 2, to count it all joy when you go through various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete, lacking nothing. Come on, somebody. But he says, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This was 700 years before Jesus even stepped on the scene. Now do you understand the word is following you? Come on. This was 700 years. This was spoken 700 years in advance. But what did I say? God's word will not return to him void. 
God's word will not return to him void. The word has gotten out there. The word is being sent to do what it was meant to do. The word will not return to him void. So this will be accomplished, and it was through Jesus. But as I bring this in for a close, as we look at Matthew chapter 8, this is very interesting to me. First of all, if you look at the context of this chapter, early on in the chapter, there was a leper that came to Jesus. And he said, if you were willing, if you were willing, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, bring forth healing. And Jesus said that he was willing. As I think about this, I can't identify in the New Testament when Jesus ever said that he was not willing. When did Jesus ever say that he was not willing to heal somebody? So he said that he was willing, but then secondly, there was a centurion that came to him and one of his servants was grieved by a tormenting spirit. And he was going through an ailment as a result. And as he inquired about Jesus and finally found him, it's almost like he got a revelation along the way and he said, wait a minute, I'm a man in authority. And I tell this one go and he goes. I tell this one come and he comes. If I operate in this realm of authority and you are the CEO of the universe, I don't even think that you need to come to the house. Just say the word and I know that my servant will be made whole. Just say the word. You don't even have to trouble yourself coming all the way to my house. But the Bible says that Jesus went in to Peter and his wife's home. Now this, I don't know if I should say this, this will mess up some Catholics. Because first of all, how in the world was one of your prominent saints married? That's a message for another time. But he was married and his mother-in-law, I have a good relationship with my mother-in-law, but I know sometimes that's not always the case, but I have a good relationship with her. But the mother-in-law was sick with the fever. And the Bible says that Jesus came into the home, that he was moved with compassion. He knelt by her bedside and he touched her hand and she was healed. And immediately after being healed, the Bible says that she rose up, went into the kitchen and started preparing a meal for them. But you know what? And then later on that night, the Bible says that many, many, many were brought to him who were demon possessed. And he healed all who were sick with a word. That the scripture might be fulfilled in Isaiah, which says that he took our infirmities and he bore our sicknesses. The revelation to me about this is Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. Think about that for a second. Jesus had not yet gone to the cross. So how was he able to operate in something that was prophetically spoken many years ago, but yet he hadn't walked in that sacrifice as of yet? Are we not in faith, church? Does the Bible not say faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen? 
Is it possible that it was already done because it had already been spoken? Is it possible that it was already done because it had already been spoken? And is it also possible that as Jesus was going through his suffering and now I understand why he was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was reminiscing or, or, or not reminiscing, he was going over in his head what he was about to face. Is it possible all of the people that he had healed up to that point, the time had come for him to pay the price for their healing? Is this why he was travailing through every person that he was touching? I know that as I touch you right now and I bring forth healing in your life, I'm going to have to pay for it later. Because you are so, because he is so good and because he sees the end of a thing and not the beginning and he sees a person whole and he sees a person healed. Now I understand in Hebrews 12 where he says for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has now been seated at the right hand of God. Jesus, you mean to tell me when you sat by her bedside, in one breath you were touching her and she was experiencing your healing. But just a few uh, uh, days, or I mean not a few, many days later, you would be going through pain and suffering to pay for that healing that you just brought forth. That's love. And if I can submit to everyone in this room, this is why I love Jesus. This is why I dedicated my life to going into ministry. Because no one can tell me that this God is not a loving God. He changed me. He changed me. He set me free. And may I submit to you, it wasn't a one-time experience. He is changing me. The more and more I read God's word and the more that I get a revelation as to what he did, what he went through, I want to love him more. I want to serve him more. I want to do his will. God, I want to be pleasing unto you. Every single person and think of all of the miracles that he performed. I'm going to have to pay for that. So now I understand when they slapped him in the face, it was worth it. Now I understand when they spat in his face with the very spit that he created, it was worth it. Now I understand when they put the crown of thorns on his head, it was worth it. Now I understand when they ran a cat of nine tails across his back with nine sharp edges that ran across his back and literally ripped the flesh off of his back. It was worth it, he said. But you know what? A lot of people were just interested in his healing, but they weren't interested in being whole. They were interested in receiving a temporary fix, but they were not interested in having their lives redirected, their lives changed, being set free, being justified in his sight. You know what? I don't want what you can put in my hand, God. I want you. I want you. I thank you for the blessings. I thank you for the things that you brought in my life. But I've come to a place of realizing all of it is worthless without you. All of it is worthless without you to have your presence, to feel your heartbeat, to be in step with who you are. That's more to me than everything. It's time that we come back to our first love.
It's time that we come back to a place with fervency and desire and tenacity to serve God with all of our hearts. This is the time. This is the season. People need to see authentic Christianity. Authentic Christianity. Man, this person loves God. There is something different about them. There is something courageous about them. All this mess that they're going through, but yet they keep standing. It's because of his grace. But his suffering could have been enough to experience his healing. But it was his death that brought forth our victory. When he decided to go to the cross... When he decided to give up the ghost, and mind you, don't think for a second that they took his life. Because the Bible says, you don't take my life, but I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I have the power to pick it back up again. So don't think for a moment that God, that Jesus was going through this against his own will. The Bible says, oh, come on, can I, man, like, can I just share with you something? Man, this is, this is so good to me. Man, can you rem- um, remember when Jesus was in the garden? And remember when they tried to take him by force and they tried to arrest him and Peter got all upset? And, and Peter's an interesting fellow. I mean, he's very zealous, but sometimes foolish. But he takes out his sword and he cuts off one of the soldier's ears. And remember, Jesus comes and he reaches his hand. Do you realize even when he healed? Come on. I, I, I literally just got this. When he touched his hand, he was going to have to pay for that as well. Uh, like, I mean, when his hand touched his ear, that he was going to have to pay for that as well. But the Bible says that Jesus turned and he spoke to Peter. And he says, do you not realize, Peter, that I could call 12 legions of angels to come and rescue me? I took the liberty of researching this. Do you realize 12 legions is 70,000 angels? Good God. Jesus could have called 70,000 angels to come and rescue him. Just one angel in the Old Testament did some huge damage. 70,000 angels? In essence, what he's saying is, bro, I got this. Chill out. I got this. Your God is powerful. Your God is good. All that he went through was for your freedom. For you to experience his grace, his love, his healing, his deliverance. How dare us not take advantage of something that cost him so much. Stand with me here in this place. As we close this service. I want to read a scripture to you. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. God's going to finish what he starts on the inside of you. If that word, which was 700 years, 
spoken in advance come to pass? What word has God spoken over your life that is yet to come to pass? Wait for it. My kids will come to know the Lord. I will get through this trial, this sickness, this disease. We will have a thriving and strong marriage. We will come out of this trial in the name of Jesus. I will discover my purpose. Even though I just graduated from high school, I know your word says, Lord, your word says to trust in you with all of my heart, to lean not to my own understanding, to acknowledge you and you will direct my steps. I will discover my purpose. Everyone's asking me, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Are are you going to college? Are you going to work? Lord, help me to hear your voice. Help me to hear your voice. Is there somebody here as we close? Maybe you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus. And you want to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. I hope that I have done a good job in presenting to you the truth of God's word. That you understand that he is a good father. And that he loves you. And he is able to heal you and set you free completely just like he did with Peter's mother-in-law. If there's somebody here, you would say, Pastor, I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. For those of you that are at the campuses, feel free to turn it over how you feel led. But right here, is there anyone, Lord, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Just raise your hand. I want to lead you in a prayer to receive him. Anyone here? I want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. Anyone here? Just raise your hand. Anyone here? Thank you for that hand, brother. I see you back there. Thank you for that hand. Come on, somebody. Anyone else? You want to make Jesus the Lord. Thank you for that hand. I see you back there. Anyone else, you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? Keep your hand raised. Our usher's going to come to you. Everyone repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and become my Lord and my Savior. I confess that I am a sinner in need of your grace, but I believe that you died for me that you took my place, that you rose from the grave with all power in your hands. I make a decision today to submit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Give it up for the Lord in this place. If you gave your life to uh, Christ, our ushers gave you a little booklet that we ask you to read over the next couple of days. Fill out that card so that we can get in contact with you with some discipleship opportunities and an opportunity to get baptized. For everyone else, go forth and be a witness for Christ and understand the word has already been spoken. So walk in it and believe what God has already said. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.